Good morning and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Rebecca F., as in Frank, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Wednesday, April 5th, 2017. Today, we are reading from the big book and we are in Chapter 2, There is a Solution, on pages 22 and 23. We will start out by rereading for context the fourth paragraph on page 22, which begins with, we know that while the alcoholic keeps away from drink, we will continue with with and focus our comments on the first and second paragraphs on page 23, which begin with, these observations would be academic through, often suspect they are down for the count. Today's readers are Sherry S., Carrie M., Deborah R., Lauren N., and Deb W. Our newcomer greeter is Suzanne W. The reference number for Tuesday, April 4, 2017, reference numbers are 9794 for the 7 a.m. Eastern Time Meeting, and 9796 for the 10 a.m. Eastern Time Meeting. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book Met, big book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Sherry S. to read the 12 steps of OA. Sherry S. on the 12 steps. Tarwin to unmute. Good morning. This is Sherry S. from Massachusetts, compulsive overeater. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood Him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. 
5. Admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. 6. We're entirely ready to have God remove all these, char- these defects of character. 7. Humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. 8. Made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. 9. Made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. 10. Continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11. Sought through prayer and meditation to to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for the knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Pass. Thank you. Thank you, Sherry S. I will now ask Carrie M. to read the 12 traditions of OA. Hi, my name is Carrie M. I am a compulsive overeater from Boston. The 12 traditions. Our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God. As he may express himself in our group conscience, our leaders are but trusted servants they do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need to always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. And 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Pass. Thank you, Carrie M. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature and stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. 
today, we resume our study of the big book in Chapter 2, There is a Solution, on page, pages 22 and 23. We will start out by rereading for context the fourth paragraph on page 22, which begins with, we know that while the alcoholic keeps away from drink, we will continue with and focus our comments on the first and second paragraphs on page 23, which begin with, these observations would be academic through often suspect they are down for the count. I will now ask Deborah R. to read these three paragraphs and comment on the second and third. Good morning, fellows. Good morning. This is Deborah R. And um, we know that while the alcoholic keeps away from drink, as he may do for months or years, he reacts much like other men. We are equally positive that once he takes any alcohol whatsoever into his system, something happens, both in the bodily and mental sense, which makes it virtually impossible for him to stop. This experience of any alcoholic will abundantly confirm this. These observations would be academic and pointless if our friend never took the first drink, thereby setting the terrible cycle in motion. Therefore, the main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than in his body. If you ask him why he started on that last bender, the chances are he will offer you any one of a hundred alibis. Sometimes these excuses have a certain plausibility but none of them really make sense in light of the havoc an alcoholic's drinking bout creates. They sound like the philosophy of the man who, having a headache, beats himself on the head with a hammer so that he can't feel the headache. If you draw this fallacious um, reasoning to the attention of an alcoholic, he will laugh it off or become irritated and refuse to talk. Once in a while, he may tell the truth. And the truth, strange to say, is usually that he has no more idea why he took that first drink than you have. Some drinkers have excuses with which they are satisfied part of the time, but in their hearts, they really do not know why they do it. Once this malady has a real hold, they are a baffled lot. There is the the obsession that somehow, someday, they will beat the game, but they often suspect they are down for the count. And wow, what a lot of right information. Um, a couple things I'd like to focus on are, therefore, um, the main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than his body. And yes, I have a twofold disease described in this wonderful textbook from Alcoholics Anonymous. And um, it would be pretty academic if I just didn't take the first drink. Um, but I have an obsession of the mind that convinces me, um, keeps me blind to the fact that if I put that first drink in, um, Somehow, I'll beat the game. It won't be that bad. Um, just a little won't hurt. It has an innumerable 
excuses to um, convince me otherwise when, uh, and I think it's good at hiding um, what I've done in the past. Um, it also mentions down later on in the um, second paragraph, um, but in their hearts, they really do not know why they do it. Once this melody has a real hold, they are a baffled lot. And um, in my heart of hearts, I did not know why I did it. Not until I got into the rooms of OA. It was one excuse after the other. What's wrong with me? Two frightened and embarrassed to go to the doctor or a psychologist or a therapist and say, you know, I'm just eating out of, you know, myself out of house and home um, with the um, gallons of ice cream, with the dozens of cookies and other such things, trying to control, having it down and controlling it for maybe a week or two, sometimes a month, but truly, I was baffled. I had no idea. And there is the obsession that somehow, someday, they will beat the game. And that is the way I thought for the first 34 years of my life. Um, And I did not suspect I was down for the count, that there was no. And I did find that OA was the last house on the block at the end of the street, and I'm glad I finally got desperate enough to come in and start reading this book and following the directions where I now have been blessed with recovered sniff. And with that, I pass. Thank you so much, Deborah R. Who would like to share on these second and third paragraphs? Natasha? Melissa? Melissa C.? I heard Tina Natasha, F. and I heard Melissa Kim G. C. And Tina I heard F. Tina S. Keep in mind I'm writing. And I think I heard Kim G. Yes. Okay. So Danielle. I have Natasha. Okay, Danielle. I have you down. Who's next? Okay. I have Natasha, Melissa, Tina S., Kim G., and Danielle. And we're sharing on the first two paragraphs on 23, these observations and once in a while. Go ahead, Natasha, and give us your first initial. Hi, this is Natasha A. as an apple in upstate New York. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you so much for the service. Um, The first thing that sticks out for me that I highlighted, and I have the same big book that I went through the first time, and I highlighted as a newcomer, therefore the main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than his body. That has always stuck out for me. It doesn't, you know, a normal eater gains some weight. They know they need to lose it, so they go on a diet, and they stop eating sugar maybe. They put down some certain foods. They walk away from it for a while. And they're usually fine. They probably keep the weight off. Maybe they go back with a little bit of moderation. Now and then they do a cleanse. That's a normal eater. But for me, you know, I go off of the sugar. And no matter how much time happens between that, I get rid of the physical craving, the toxins out of my body, I still go back. And I don't go back just 
with moderation like the normal eater. You know, they, they're smart. They, they know what happens. They, they have moderation. But me, I go back. I go back ten times worse than I was before. And that's because I have a mental obsession. Once I get the toxin out of my body, what makes me not normal is my brain obsesses and brings me back until it gets me back where it is. Um, you know, the other thing I want to say is in the first paragraph it says, we know that while the alcoholic keeps away from the drink as he may do for months or years, he reacts much like other men. And I always think when I read that part that, you know, Bill W. left out a sentence after that. You know, he reacts much like other men, contingent that he's working a 12-step program and he's working this book because I don't know about you, but he's kind of it's a little bit deceiving because it almost it looks like he's explaining just a man who stops drinking and then he's normal again. And that, that for me is a dry drunk. That's me on a diet. So I always like to tell my sponsees, you know, contingent. They can be much like other men contingent. They are working an honest and thorough program. Besides that, thank you so much for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you, Natasha A. Melissa C., I believe. Hi, good morning. It's Melissa C. Recovered Compulsive Overeater in New York. And, um, yeah, so the problem exists in my mind, you know. It's um, the allergy would be bad enough, but we don't need to have, you know, peanut um, eaters anonymous, you know, because if it's just an allergy and that's the only problem, you know, you stay away from it. You don't pick it up again. And no... um, story that you spin yourself um, gets you to pick up something that you're highly allergic to. And yet, that's my experience here, that my mind always has convinced me that picking up my alcoholic substances is a great idea, you know, and so I've fallen for a million excuses and reasons, um, and none of them are logical, you know, like from I'm feeling really sad, so I need to eat, you know, because surely um, food, you know, which always led me to depression, how is feeling sad a, a logical decision, you know, to eat? Or I'm on vacation, you know, and so, um, yeah, I'm going to eat, I'm on vacation. And yet, um, anytime I've picked up the food on vacation, um, I don't feel closer to my family. I don't even really want to be where I am. I'm, I'm pretty much um, happiest, best alone in a room with the food. By the end of the vacation, I'm miserable. You know, or a birthday. You know, there's, there's a great excuse to pick up. Um, you know, there's another social celebration, and yet when I eat, there's nothing social about it. I want everybody to go away and leave me with the cake. Um, so, you know, none of these excuses make sense, but I've always been able to fall for them. And then, you know, the other times it's been, um, I know there's no excuse. It's just I'm going out of my mind. And I've had that experience too. You know, I think that's one of the crazy parts about coming to OA. You know, we get some education. We know what it is we're up against. And what that did for me before I was through the steps and recovered was it ruined my binges, you know, because I had the intelligence. I knew when I was picking up, I knew what I was doing. Um, I couldn't lie to myself, and yet I could not stop it, you know. So intelligence is not enough. Um, 
You know, none of it is enough without a spiritual transformation. And it's really important that I know that the problem exists in my mind because it tells me that what I need to change is my mind. I need the psychic change. I needed to change the way that I think, um, not just the food that I eat. That's the beginning part. But I had to change everything. Thank you. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Melissa C. Tina S. Your turn. Thanks, Rebecca. Tina S., Recovered Compulsive Eater Anorexic in Florida. Uh, some great stuff here. Certainly, certainly describes me. Uh, and I also already reiterate what everybody else said, that I'm so grateful that it tells me that the main, my main problem center is in my mind you know, because I can think it's everything else. And and so then I can't, you know, I can't lie to myself, or I could, but, you know, so it tells me in black and white that this is where my main problem is centered. And, you know, and I love also that it says all the excuses, you know, they don't make sense for the havoc and destruction that's caused by that mental twist. But I have been there, done that, you know. And, and one of the things that I really, what really caught me this morning was once in a while they tell the truth. You know, once in a while, and that was me. Still today, you know, I have to make sure I'm telling the truth. You know, I have a conversation with my sister, and you know, just love her, love my sister, and you know, she's not one of us. And she'll she'll be telling me something, then she'll say, "Oh, I'm making shit up," and I'll go, "I laugh because she just corrects it right away." And I started doing that, you know, because I can embellish anything, you know. And um, today, maybe it's not so drastic, but. Um, you know, real grateful that, you know, I started using that and that, um, you know, that, um, you know, I, I, I don't got this thing. You know, the good news for me is that, um, you know, that, I, that I'm down for the count. That's good news so that I can make a different decision, you know, for a different solution, which is a power greater than myself. Uh, so with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thanks, Tina S. Kim G. Good morning, Rebecca. Good morning, all. My name is Kim J. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. These observations, what observations? This is the observations of the allergy we've been discussing. So the book is going to start to focus us away from the, um, the allergy and towards the mental obsession now. So these observations of the allergy would be academic and pointless if our friend never took the first drink. You know, I had a severe reaction to penicillin as an infant. And honestly, that allergy is absolutely, you know, it's academic because I've never ingested it again. I have no desire to ingest it again. I've gotten sick multiple times. Doctors have told me penicillin is the best remedy, and I simply say no. So when we talk about powerlessness, I spent so much time thinking I was powerless when I was in the food. They're letting me know here that my true powerlessness is where? It says, therefore, the main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than his body. That's where my true powerlessness is. Why, when I'm stone cold sober, do I make the decision to pick up the food, which thousands and thousands of examples have showed me that I will not be able to stop? So I sometimes like to look at analogies because I'm told in the doctor's opinion I cannot differentiate the truth from the false when it comes to my food. So I like to look at something as an analogy about what does that look like? So let's say I have a very severe reaction to poison ivy, but I love to hike. So what I do is I get protective gear on. I know exactly what poison ivy looks like, and I go hiking, and I'm able to avoid the poison ivy, and I'm able to have that protective gear in case I accidentally come upon some poison ivy. 
and I'm enjoying the, the birds are singing and the sun is shining and I'm smelling all the beautiful flowers. Am I, am I powerless? Am I crazy? Do I have an insanity? No, I simply have an allergic reaction to, to um, this poison ivy. But what if as I'm out there and I'm hiking, I suddenly, am, my mind is going, there's the poison ivy, there's the poison ivy, there's the po-, and I cannot feel the sunshine. I cannot hear the birds. I cannot smell the flowers because my whole entire body is vibrating with, there's poison ivy, there's poison ivy. And what I do is I strip down to my underwear and I roll in the poison ivy. Do you think I'm insane? Absolutely. I'm not insane because I'm allergic to poison ivy. I'm insane because my mind tells me that it's okay and it's the best thing I can do is to roll in that poison ivy. And then once I'm in there, I'm going to have that allergic reaction. So this is critical information. As important as that allergy information is, it's letting us know that those observations would be academic and pointless unless our friend took the first drink thereby setting a terrible cycle of motion. Therefore, the main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind, and that's exactly what these 12 steps treat. And with that, I pass. Thanks, Kim G. from New Jersey. Danielle, I didn't catch your first initial. You are next. Danielle, star one to unmute. Good morning, everyone. Sorry about that. My name is Danielle Cavalto, Overeater. And I don't know if I'm going to keep a good connection, but I will try. If I don't, let me know. I am grateful to be abstinent today, and I woke up with that gratitude this morning because of <clears throat> I'm reminded every morning when I'm on this meeting that there are Things that happen to me throughout the day that make me believe that I can manage the self of others. And I have trouble with that. So when I remember when I first came in here, I used to think that, you know, I, again, I went back to that. I can control this. I can control it. I'll just go back to Weight Watchers. I'll go back to something that I know has always worked. And it didn't ever really work. So when I got here and they started talking about this disease concept, I was still skeptical, but I gave it a try. And since that time, I have found more and more freedom, more and more reasons to stay. And I hear that in newcomers who, who are working this program and have never had uh, an understanding of 12 steps. And I, I, uh, I watch their miracles happen for them. You know, and, and it's not any different. You know, I have a mental obsession, and I know that when I sit with that thinking for too long, I am in trouble. And I know that when I ingest anything that is uh, a risky food, then I'm also in trouble because there, there, goes, there goes the whole deal. You know, I am powerless over food. I am powerless over my thinking sometimes, and that's why I need to be talking to others. So I'm grateful for you guys this morning to remind me of that and that I need to be here on a regular basis. So thank you, everybody. I pass. Thank you, Danielle. Would anyone else like to share on these first two paragraphs on 23? Michael H. Michael H. Mary B. Mary B. Harlan G. Nancy uh, Nancy Harlan H. D. 
Nessa R. Leia M. Nessa R. Leia H. I mean, yeah, Leia. Leia M. M, M. Thank you. Barbara E. Barbara E. Leslie W. Leslie W. Why don't we go, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight times three, 28, 38, 48. Oh, that might be all the time we have. So why don't we go with those? Michael H., Mary B., Harlan G., Nancy H., Nessa R., Leah M., Barbara E., and Leslie W. Michael H., you are next. Good morning, Vision. May I be heard? I can hear you, Michael. Great. This is Michael H. from Illinois. I just wanted to chime in this morning real quick. As I'm reading these paragraphs and understanding the the obsession of the mind uh, that I have, and that is my main problem. I actually woke up this morning with with a headache, really a bad headache, as a matter of fact, and and instead of doing what the book says here in the analogy or in this uh, in the paragraph of beating myself in the head with a hammer, I, I didn't do that. I woke up early, a little extra early, as I couldn't sleep, and and took some medicine for that headache instead of the ridiculous uh, treatment of hitting myself with a hammer. And 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 that that makes me think of 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 the program um, yesterday. I, you know, it just the day didn't go my way. I had some things come up and 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 ultimately recognized them as resentments and working works up tens on them and and still working on that and need to be talking more about that and and that's a miracle for me of this program is is it's a, a different way of living. Um and, and reading it further down it talking about being a baffled lot. In, in their hearts, but in their hearts, they really do not know why they do it, and uh, the obsession that somehow someday they will beat the game. I thought that somehow someday, if I got enough knowledge, if I went through enough counseling, if I talked to enough people in the church, if I prayed enough, that that I could fix this problem that I have, and and I realized that that I can't. That only a power greater than myself can, and because they, they often suspect they are down for the count. And I'm so grateful for that place because I suspected most often that I was down for the count. And that's thank, thank God, really, that's what brought me to OA and brought me into recovery. Into recovery with that, I will pass. Thank you, Michael H. Mary B. Mary B. Starline. Good morning. Good morning. Can I be heard now? Yes, Mary B. Yes. Thank you so much. Thank you for your service. Uh, this is Mary B. Gratefully Recovered, calling from Southwest Arizona this morning. When I listen to this reading, uh, my mind goes back, back, way back to when I was in my 20s and standing in the kitchen and pounding my fists on the sink 
and crying. I did it again. I did it again. Why do I do this to myself? Why do I keep doing this and stamping my feet and crying? Why do I keep doing this? And then I found at 25 this wonderful fellowship called Overeaters Anonymous. And I got some information. I got, um, we didn't know a lot. You know, OA was only two years old at that time. We didn't know a lot about the physical allergy. But I lost my weight. And in my first 10 years, I walked out the door two or three times. I didn't walk out fat and disgusted and, and discouraged. No. I walked out thin and confident and knowing that now I could do it. I, I'll take it from here, you guys. Thank you so much for the information. And out I went. And for a little while, because I had to show you that I could do it, I, I managed to keep my weight off for a little while but always came crawling back in the rooms after a year, maybe two years, with all my weight back, plus, plus, plus. And knowing, knowing that the strange mental twist kept coming back, that now, now I can do it. Now I can take over. And I'm sharing this because I know that there, there's over 300 people on this line this morning, and I know that at least one person out there, and that's all I need is one, is thinking, boy, these people are really good. They're really smart. Now I'm getting the information that I need so that I can go out there and do it myself. And if you're a real compulsive eater like I am, don't bother. Don't waste your time. That's why I love the stories of people who come back from relapse because they remind me that this is the only solution for my disease of compulsive eating. That I need to follow this program, my higher power, with a sponsor as it's laid out in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. I am so grateful today this is a woman who used to look in the mirror and say, you elephant, you elephant. And today I can look in the mirror at 80. I'm going to be 80 soon and say, not bad for an old broad. Thank you for the opportunity to share. Thank you, Mary D. Harlan D. Thank you, Rebecca and Team Wednesday for making this magnificent meeting possible. I'm Harlan G. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Scottsdale, Arizona. I'm going to flip the order of the paragraphs around, and I'm going to pick one sentence here out of each paragraph because they're so poignant to me. The second paragraph brings me back to a period of time in my life when I was five, six, seven years old, eight years old. And people, the world would look at me and say to me, why are you eating like that? You're, you're never going to get a good job. You're never going to get a girlfriend. Look at you. Look how fat you're getting. 
And I equated being fat with being bad. I equated being fat with being less than. I equated being fat with being evil and wrong. And my existential being was just wrong and horrible. And I looked at them and I wondered, why aren't you eating? What Lake Michigan amount of willpower were you issued that I missed out on? How is it that you're not eating? And it says here in the second paragraph, once this malady has a real cold, they are a baffled lot. And I had that obsession as a five-year-old, six-year-old, seven-year-old, that I had somehow I will beat this game, but I knew that I was down for the count. And I had a very defeatist attitude because I said, A, I'm not going to live long. That's what they're all telling me. That's what the doctors are telling me. That's what everyone's telling me. And they'd say, don't eat so much. You'll feel better. And when I tried to hunker down and I didn't eat so much, I did feel better. I felt anger better. I felt fear better. I felt like killing myself better. And in the first paragraph, the sentence that jumps out at me is, therefore the main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than in his body. And I tried to fix me by weighing less through sheer unaided willpower. And then one day somebody gave me a recovery program that I was ready to have. And I had to put the food down for a couple of days, no question. I couldn't work these steps loaded on Ritz crackers, Oreo cookies, and God knows what else. I couldn't work this program with Kit Kat bars in my stomach. But once I was clean and had started working the program, I had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps. And the desire for food is no longer with me. Therefore, the main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than his body. It almost didn't make sense to me. It was almost as if I called you to say that my toaster was broken and you came and fixed my television set and I turned out okay. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thanks, Harlan G. Nancy H., you're next. Hi, Nancy H. from uh, New Jersey. And I am recovering compulsive eater. I um, struggled last night. Um, so I've been doing this for a while, but I keep frequently, I don't know, every few months pick up sugar. And last night was one of those nights. And, um, you know, the first time, it's like even when the stories in, in the big book about the alcoholic, maybe the first time he has one drink and then the second time too, and then he's off to the races. Because last night I didn't have that much, but, you know, I can see that it will just start, it starts the insanity all over again. So I totally relate to what was shared this morning. I appreciated all of the um, thoughts. And, the struggle is that, you know, I wasn't particularly upset. I just said, I really, I said, I really need some chocolate tonight. And I just couldn't get rid of that idea. And I didn't make a phone call. I just, just kept coming back to it and eventually went to the store and got some. And did it help for the moment? Yeah, it helped for the moment. But in the long term, it's going to bring back all the craziness. And, um, 
I certainly would like to lose 70 pounds, but more important than that, I'd like to get out of this crazy cycle. Um, so I feel uh, I have a lot of work to do today. I'm going to talk to my sponsor at 8, and um, I just pray that I'll be abstinent today. And thank you all for your service. This is a wonderful, wonderful program. Pass. Thanks, Nancy H. Nessa R. Thank you. Good morning. This is Nessa R., a recovered compulsive overeater in Toronto, Canada. Um, it says here that the main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than in his body, which tells me that I have to fix my mind. And, you know, before I learned about the cycle of disease, you know, which the, the, the doctor's opinion describes as the well-known stages of a, a spree. And in this paragraph, it's talked about um, the terrible cycle. Um, I thought, okay, I'll just work my, those the steps into abstinence. And it didn't work. It didn't work because it doesn't work. Um, you know, and I often think about, you know, I own my own business and, you know, um, how would it work if if I was drunk one day when I was doing the inventory? Um, how how accurate, how honest, how precise would that inventory be? And you know, if I if I was drunk, um, you know, when I gave over that inventory, you know, could the people receiving it trust that it was a good inventory? And the answer is no. And it's no different um, when I'm in the food. When I'm in the food, I am drunk, except, you know, I, I don't think that I'm impaired, but I, I am impaired. And, uh, you know, so it's very, very important to never set this terrible cycle in motion while I'm working the steps because they just don't work. And this, this ties into uh, the next sentence, the, the first sentence of the next paragraph for me where it says, once in a while he may tell the truth. And for me, that came when the pain of being in the food was so much greater than the pain of not being in the food because my whole life I was driven by the need to avoid discomfort and at all costs, it didn't matter what the price. Um, and then came a time when the price did get too high, when in my, in, in my quest to obliterate discomfort through food, uh, stopped working and the food itself became such a massive discomfort that nothing else could overcome it and that was the moment of truth for me uh, as it was for Bill you know I saw that these had to be stopped but how you know and the how is you know I need to stop eating I need to stop eating so then I can address my mind because you know one doesn't work without the other there's a very close mind and body connection here, a very close mind and body interaction here that is described beautifully by the doctor as the well-known stages of a spree. And I cannot put the cart before the horse. I have to be abstinent. I have to make sure that I am not impaired by my substances, which means I have to be rigorously honest about the food. And then and then I can work the steps to address the main problem, um, which is my mind and the reason why I'm doomed. But, you know, that's going to, again, involve discomfort because it's very uncomfortable to be abstinent. 
And so I got to keep my mind on the prize, which is recovery. And I got to keep, uh, I got to make sure that I do anything in my power to stay abstinence, which will involve white knuckling between the time I put down the food right. and the time I actually get recovered. But I got to endure it because the pain of being in the food is so that much greater. And that is the truth. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Nessa R. Leah M. Thank you very much. And the truth, strange to say, is usually that he has no more idea why he took that first drink than you have. You know, they described this disease as cunning, baffling, and powerful, and it was so baffling. You know, um, even after I learned, you know, I had an allergy of the body, you know, I realized through my experience there were certain foods I shouldn't eat. And, you know, that's a bad problem. But I have a problem with my mind because when I said I wasn't going to binge my brains out at night, when I said that's it, no more, you know, this is getting much too painful, that's it, I'm through binging, you know, I'm going to wake up, it's going to be a brand new day tomorrow, everybody's going to be happy with this decision now. All of a sudden, (laughs) I would change my mind, and taking a bite of binge food seemed like the best idea I had in a long time. You know, it was like I couldn't remember the compulsive overeating. I couldn't remember the the tears. I couldn't remember the torture. I couldn't remember the threats of divorce. All I could remember is that sense of ease and comfort that I would get when taking a few bites um, of my binge food. And, you know, I had to get an education. I did not understand the grave nature of my illness. I didn't understand the depths to which this addiction would grab me by the roots of the hair and drag me around. I didn't understand the exact nature of my problem. Therefore, I did not realize the seriousness of my condition and the urgency and necessity for this solution. I didn't understand. See, when I was abstinent for a while from the binge foods, I would start to feel uncomfortable. I would start to feel impatient. I would start to feel on edge. I would start to feel restless, irritable, and discontent. And those feelings, those thoughts would start to crowd my mind and get so loud that the only way I knew how to shut them up and get relief was to dig my fist into a bag or a bakery box. And the big book calls that the obsession of the mind, that that is my main problem. I didn't understand that. See, I had thought I was making a decision, merely choosing to change my mind, but this book told me the truth. I was not changing my mind. I was compelled to drink and to eat beyond my ability to control it. The mental obsession took possession of my mind without my consciousness and without my permission. And it was a thought that would dominate my mind in such a way that it was the only thought. And since it's the only thought, I didn't know it was the only thought, because if it's the only thought, I can't have the self-reflection that it's the only thought. Do you see how perverse, insane, lack of soundness of mind that is? I did not understand this greater aspect of my illness. Therefore, I did not understand the urgency wrapping up and the necessity for this 12-step solution. And something came between me and compulsive overeating three decades ago and has been there ever since, and that's called the recovery process. And with that, I pass. Thanks, Leah M. Barbara E. Good morning. This is Barbara E. 
Am I being heard? Yes, you are, Barbara. Oh, thank you so much for your service, everyone. And I am from New Jersey and a grateful recovered slash recovering compulsive overeater. I so identified with the, with the phrase, the main problem of the overeater, this overeater, centers in my mind. I have no idea why I make a choice to pick up the compulsive eating. I don't say, well, if my family behaved better, if the world was in a better place, if my colleagues were kinder and more laudatory. I just say to myself, what the F? I feel like eating today. And I start. And I know in my head that once I start, I won't be able to stop the compulsivity that takes over. And it won't be for a day, and it won't be for a week, and I won't begin my food plan again on National Diet Day, which is Monday, and it won't be New Year's. It could be 10 years. And my staff photos show the reflection of the shrinking sometimes and the ever-expanding Barbara. I have no idea why I do it, but I do it, and it's self-defeating. Yesterday was, I always say, some days are diamonds, some are stones, and some are cubic zirconia. Yesterday was not only a stone, it was a boulder. I had misspoken to my son, said something hurtful on Monday night. I reached out to someone and made my 10th step, listened to their advice, pondered on it, went up to him and made an amends, and he chose not to accept it. That's his choice. He doesn't have to, but I felt bluer than blue. I wanted him to accept it. He didn't. The good news is I didn't come out and to go downstairs and eat everything in the kitchen and everything in the refrigerator. I didn't stop at Burger King and buy all kinds of things on the way to to my first appointment. I just did what I had to do. That's the gift of OA. It took me a long time to get to OA. I had to be beaten to a pulp by all the many diets and life experiences. And when I was ready to come to OA, I accepted that I needed the program as well as the abstinence. I had to get abstinent first, clear my head of all the garbage, and start working the steps. I compare myself to a peanut M&M. I've built a hard candy shell around me to protect me. I am now working my way through the chocolate down to the nut that is in my head. Thank you. I pass. Thank you, Barbara E. Leslie W. Thank you so much for your service. This is Leslie W. Recovered in Tennessee. If you ask him why he started on that last bender, the chances are he will offer you any one of a hundred alibis. Sometimes these excuses have a certain plausibility, but none of them really make sense in the light of the havoc an alcoholic drinking, an alcoholic's drinking bout creates. Yeah, this was me for sure. Um, except I didn't know I had a problem that centered in my mind. 
Um, and even after I was told that, I had difficulty accepting it. I had real difficulty accepting it. And the reason I had difficulty accepting it was because this was the norm for me. Um, I grew up, you know, surrounded by compulsive overeaters. I just didn't know it. Um, Every female in my family has issues with food, every single one of them. It's not uncommon for me to hear things like, um, would you like a bite of this? No, I want to wait till I get home and I'm in my PJs and I'm in my bed. Or I want to wait till everybody leaves so I can be quiet with my, so I can be alone with my food. Um, these are the kinds of things that were commonplace for me and still are. I didn't understand how to have uh, a proper relationship with food. Um I didn't understand who I really, really was. I didn't understand what food was doing for me uh, because I had a problem with life. You know, food was my solution to life's problems, and that was normal. I didn't think there was anything wrong with that um, until I knew that it had taken hold of me. I knew that it had a real hold And I was baffled by it. I couldn't understand why I couldn't stop. I wanted to stop, but I couldn't stop. Um, I had lots of excuses for eating the way that I did. I had lots of excuses, and and a lot of them had that plausibility. Um, I was, you know, this happened to me. This tragic event happened to me, Um, you know, because so I eat because this happened, or that person did this to me, or because it's my parents' fault, or because my life is hard and I have a brand new baby and I'm tired all the time, so that's why I eat. Um, I mean, you name it. I had a, I had a million excuses. I was the queen of excuses. Um, but you know what? <laughs> I am who I am. At the end of the day, none of those excuses really matter because. Because of this disease, um, I never understood why people said I'm a grateful compulsive overeater. But now I know. Because of my experience in this program, because, <clears throat> because I have been given a solution, thank you, I can now share that with others and help others and to be of service to them. And that is my primary purpose. With that, I pass. Thank you, Leslie W. With one minute to spare, I'm not going to open up the floor for another share, so I'm going to fill it myself. This is Rebecca F., a compulsive overeater from Connecticut. And what comes to my mind is on page 30 where it says, the delusion had to be smashed. And all these things that are being discussed in these two paragraphs remind me that I have a, I had anyway a delusion until I accepted the uh, principles of this program, any one of a hundred alibis, excuses that don't make sense, fallacious reasoning, irritated and refused to talk, once in a while he may tell the truth, excuses again, baffled lot. You know, I was deluded. I, I had no idea the exact nature of 
my situation, that it was a disease and that I had a twofold illness. And by the grace of God, the people who wrote this book, luckily, even though it was written for alcoholics, applied. it applies to me as a compulsive overeater. And all of you showed me how deluded I was and that there was a better way than my way, which was a way of delusion. And I'll pass with that. Thank you, everyone. Please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Will Lauren N., please read A Vision for You. Our book is meant to be suggestive only to the end of the page. Good morning, this is Lauren N. Can I be heard? Yes, Lauren N., thank you. Our our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God is consistently, God will consistently disclose more to us, more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation, what you can do each day for the man who is still sick, the answer will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you Until then.